You are listening to the Startup Mindsets Podcast, a podcast dedicated to uncovering how mindsets are built from fascinating startup entrepreneurs, innovation leaders, and investors. This podcast will give you a blueprint to thrive in an innovation-driven and globally connected world. I'm your host, Dan Gonzalez, joined by Earl Valencia. Join us to learn about amazing people and their journeys to discover their own startup mindsets, and in the process, hopefully also discover yours. Here we go. What's up? we got another episode of Startup Mindsets Podcast. Our guest today is none other than Bez Barami. Um, Bez is the CEO and creator of Cube Wealth, which I'll let him explain to us a little bit more in detail. Welcome to Startup Mindsets, Bez. Hey, thank you for having me, Dan. I'm, it's a pleasure to be on. Uh, thank you so much for uh, you know giving me the time. I'm, I'm actually kind of honored because you've been having some really good guests on the show. So this is cool to be on it, man. You, you know, congrats to you and your team on, on the success you guys have been having. You know, in in such a short time period with it, with the whole podcast and everything. So I can't wait to see it grow. But yeah, so a little bit about me. Uh, my name is Bez. I've created Cube, and I initially started off as an Instagram page back in late 2015, but it's matured into a subscription platform to help everyday investors learn how to invest um, and more so on an educational standpoint as opposed to like day trading. And you're actually a member of, of Cube, so you can definitely attest to that. Um, and it's been going great. The subscription launched in uh, August of 2018. So soon, it's, uh, next month's going to be two years since the, uh, the platform launched, but the brand's been around for almost five years now. And it's just been you know, slowly but surely cranking away and it's, it's been amazing. So I can't wait to talk more about it. Yeah, man, you got a really interesting business model. Um, I know that, you know, you graduated Rutgers with a finance degree and, you know, you, you worked on Wall Street for uh, investment bank, uh, JPM, I think, right? Yep. What took you away and wanted you to uh, just become your own boss, essentially, and uh, start this versus that work life uh, that you had back then? Yeah, no, great question. So I... I've had the entrepreneur mindset and blood in me really since, you know, the, the earliest of days, because I come from an entrepreneur family. My, my father is an immigrant from Albania, as is my mother. And uh, he's been an entrepreneur his whole life, uh, starting all, all kinds of companies that he's had success with. So I saw that firsthand growing up. And uh, when I was in college, I actually got a patent and trademark in chewing gum products um, that I'm currently actually sitting on. So like this has been, it's called some gum where no one in the actual world right now on confectionery products can have a loyalty based program where the points add up for every purchase uh, to earn rewards. No one can actually do that. If they do, they'll be hearing from my lawyers. So it's something I created at, uh, back in college and from then, it, it was an idea in high school. When I was 17, my senior of high school, my, my brother, who's five years younger than me, we came up with it. And then I worked on it and the, the patent took four years to get. So I've had this in me since day one. I knew the corporate life was just going to be something I step into uh, just for a short period of time to you know, collect the cash flow, feed into the business, and then eventually I was going to step away. What I will say and admit here with you is that I did not think it'd be so soon. I didn't think I would quit um, a few years into the corporate life. So I had my internship at, at Bank of America Merrill Lynch in wealth management. And then I went and spent a couple of years at JP Morgan in, in Manhattan 
doing my first year in investment banking and the second year in asset management, uh, more specifically in the private bank. And I started Cube as just like a, a hobby, to be honest, to help people just learn different, you know, investing terms and things like that. You, you made an Instagram or what did you do exactly to you? Yeah. So I was in the office uh, late one night. It was like six, seven o'clock and I was just grabbing some dinner and I was with my coworker and we we're just talking about like, bro, here we are helping multimillionaires become even richer multimillionaires. Like who's helping our mom and dads? Like who's helping, you know, everyday folk. And, and that's, you know what? I'm, no one is really. So let me go ahead and just start an Instagram page and maybe it turns into a blog or maybe it turns into a podcast or maybe it turns into something bigger. Like, I, I didn't know. I'm not going to come, come up here and say like, oh, I had this grand vision from day one that it was going to be this, you know, subscription-based platform. It wasn't from the beginning. I, I didn't think that far. I just wanted to get started. So there really wasn't much hesitation. And if, you, if you're going to ask where the name came from, uh, the, the, cause a lot of people wonder this and actually, I, I don't actually think a lot of people know, uh, with rolling the dice or something or what is it? Yeah, no. Yeah. Right. You think that, um, but so I, I saw a lot of brands have a lot of success with, um, uh, three word mottos, right. Um, seeking alpha being one of them and many other brands. Uh, and so I was thinking of, th of a three dimensional way of helping people. So obviously the cube motto is learn, discuss, invest. Right. So then I, I always had before the, the name cube even came, came up, I was just thinking of three word uh, slogans. And then I was like, 3D, three dimensional. What's three dimensional? Cube's three dimensional. And I also liked the fact that it was fr a friendly name and yeah. it was it was kind of like gender neutral. So I also know that, you know, uh, investing can be scary to a lot of people, especially also the female demographic. Uh huh. They're nervous to get into investing. I don't know what it is, if it's a cultural thing or not, but it's something I've noticed uh, in my experience. And I didn't want a like uh, alpha wolf capital company because okay. it's going gonna, it's gonna to scare away and shy away a lot of people. Like even like us guys, like yeah, yeah. if you're not on the street or something like that, it, it kind of is like intimidating. Like, I didn't want a company name like that. You know, I wanted something really friendly, one that made sense. So that's where that came from, man. And, uh, it's, it's stuck since. And I've had a lot of people tell me they like the name a lot. No. Yeah, man. I, okay. So, you, you know, you started your Instagram and then how did, how did you feel, you know, just when you started? <laughs> did, I had no idea what the hell I was doing. And about, <laughs> I had no idea. Uh, I don't listen that. I'm not going to act like, you know, from day one, I, I had all my shit together. I didn't, I didn't. I, <laughs> I, I honestly, I had no idea how to make posts. I, I was literally walking into the city, into the office and I was just taking pictures of skyscrapers and putting them on Instagram. Like I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't know. So I just ran the caption. Like, do you guys know what bonds are? And I'd explain in the caption what bonds are, but it's a picture of like one of building in Manhattan. Like it made no sense whatsoever, but I didn't know better. I didn't know. And then, um, I, I remember one of my friends hit me up. He's like, dude, I saw your post. Like, I don't know if you should be posting pictures of buildings in Manhattan because okay. there are some other logos in the pictures or there's some brands in there. You might be getting in trouble. I was like, I don't know, man. I'm just like going with it. I'm just trying to help people. So, uh, when they, when I tell people like, listen, if I can start a social media page, yeah. I'm telling you, everybody can, it's, it's not that hard. Thousand, uh, you know, followers, right. Or like a lot of engagement, right? Yeah. I'm around 15,000 followers. Um, 
Unfortunately, hashtags bring in a, a good amount of like spam followers. Oh. I'd say my true count, if I had to be really honest with you, my true count's probably around 9,000, give or take. Damn it. <laughs> you know, because all the guys, every time I hashtag like stocks or investing, all these crypto, stupid crypto and FX pages come in and comment on my posts or they spam me with like 20, 30 followers of get rich quick things. And so I, I'd say the real count's probably somewhere around 9,000. That's, that's awesome. Um, well, what was and that's over five years, posting every single day, two, two to three times a day, because I finally found out yeah. the, 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 the way I want to tackle the actual social media strategy. You know, I had to sit down and talk to some people who are in the business who okay. could, you know, help me out with that. So I have a lot of powerful friends and, and, and well-connected friends in the social media uh, space that kind of gave me some pointers here and there. I sat down with them and just figured out a strategy, you know, a yeah. direction. Yeah, man. I don't even know how I found your page, to be honest. I think it was like, it was the same time I was reading, just getting into the investing stuff uh, for my personal sake. And uh, I think I just bumped into it on like Instagram Explorer, dude. Or like, yeah, man. But, but the funny thing, that's so hilarious because that's how a lot of people came by. I also was following a ton of people. Like I would go on uh, like Investopedia or uh, StockTwits or uh, CNBC or Bloomberg. And I would just follow anyone that was commenting on their pictures. Cause I'm like, Oh, if they like Bloomberg, maybe they'll like my content. So yeah. I got a lot of people that way. Um, and then I would get on the explore page quite a bit, but I'll be honest. Uh, the, the Instagram algorithm has really switched up the last three, four years. It, you don't really have as much of a chance of, of growing your page organically anymore, or at least not as much as you used to maybe back when I started the page around 2015. Were you ever like insecure about, uh, or I mean, maybe not, well, let's use the word, um, just uh, uh, nervous or whatever you want, you want to call like, it? Like about what? Like maybe what other people would think about me starring it? You know, just making that content, right? And like, you know, this is first, the first time you're posting or first couple of days you're posting, right? Because I'm, I'm thinking about that too, right? Since I just, yeah. Graham, uh, what were, were you like ever like, uh, oh, my content sucks, shit, I don't want to people to see this you ever get get that I, actually no no i didn't uh and you know you know me dan i i really am uh uh very blunt very forthcoming with things and uh if my friends saw the page i don't give a shit okay. if my colleagues or my family saw what i was doing i don't care i just when when you have your vision and your mindset set on a certain goal yeah there's really nothing that's going to get in between you and achieving it. it. It just like, you just simply just don't give a crap about like what John Doe thinks about you starting a page and, Oh, it doesn't have a lot of followers. I'm nervous. I'm, I'm embarrassed because you know, like what if I fail, bro, I failed at a ton of things. And you know what the funny thing is that gets, that, that gets me past that hurdle. Cause maybe it pops in your mind maybe once or twice, but how you get quickly past it is, you step off your pedestal. No one cares about you. No one cares about your page. No one's paying attention to you. No one's keeping tabs on you. The world moves on and no one cares about this Instagram page that Bez started to help people invest. Absolutely nobody. <laughs> they really don't. Like, you know, when, like, when you're walking down a street and you realize you're going the wrong direction, so you'll pull your phone out to pretend and then turn the other way because you realize you're going the wrong way because you don't want to seem embarrassed. Yeah, you don't need to do that. No one's paying attention to you. No one cares. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, everyone does it, but why do we do it? Because we get kind of embarrassed, but the, the, the brutal reality is we're not that important. So 
Yeah, that's uh, that's how I look at it, man. And and when the page does grow, um, I also try not to even boast about it either. I, I actually don't share any of my personal cube content to my Instagram page. No, I don't. Yeah, I've never done it to this day. I actually don't even know if many of my friends or family even knows much about the company itself. Okay. I have it in my Instagram bio, uh, but I, I actually don't push cube or um, anything of that nature to my Instagram, follow, my, my personal actual Instagram followers. I've never done it. Right. Okay. So now let's jump into, I guess, uh, when you were um, maybe a little bit more mature with uh, these endeavors, when did you start um, thinking that you could monetize it and uh, make, do it for a living, I guess? Yes, that's actually, I love that question. Um, so I went to this networking event in, uh, in Hell's Kitchen uh, in Manhattan uh, after work one day when I was at JP. And uh, I went there and I was telling people about, because after a while of, of working on the Instagram page, I started getting ideas. And that's when the subscription model popped in my mind. The funny thing is, and I'll come back to it later, is that my first idea for cube was a subscription based model, but I actually chose not to pursue it immediately. I actually tried going the uh, freemium model with the newsletter and hoping to get advertisements. That was initially how the first uh, way of trying to monetize cube. So um, when I went to this networking event, I had all these ideas in my mind and I was picking people's brains that were also starting companies. And I was trying to figure out, you know, what do you think of this idea? So I was literally just asking people like, this is where I'm going with this. Uh, is this something you'd be interested in? And I, the, the feedback was, was overwhelming that they would have been interested in it because generally you cannot get any kind of investment help unless you have a certain amount of assets because the financial advisors won't look at you like minimum 50,000, minimum 100,000. They got to take custody of your account, you know, own it and, and operate on it and, and have full disclosure with it. So uh, I told him about, you know, not touching your money. You keep it where it is and you treat the million dollar client the same as the hundred dollar client. They, they're the same people to you. And that, that rubbed a lot of people the right way. And so that's when I started saying, okay, well maybe I have something here. And when I was working at JP, I, I was also working on some other ventures and I was pretty excited about them. I had all-star teams behind it. Um, some of these people run some very popular, uh, websites and Instagram accounts, Facebook accounts today that you'd recognize. And we thought that these other ventures that I was working on were going to monetize very, very fast. And that's why I quit when I quit. So, but the funny thing is, and to my, you know, sadness is that they didn't materialize. The partnerships fell through. Uh -huh. So I was there with cube. Now the other two ventures failed. Okay. Um, and here I am now, I'm out of work and I'm saying to myself, well, I got to monetize Cube now. I, when I quit work, I was not making anything from Cube. Okay. I was working on side ventures that I thought was going to give me that, that income that I needed to float myself. And that plan fell through the freaking floor. It did not pan out. So here I am now, I may be four, five, six months out of work, okay, of JP. Sure. And I have now nothing. I've been nurturing Cube for so long, but I never asked anyone for money to like actually get it going. I never, I never launched a service yet. I was still trying to get that newsletter up and running, but it, was, it wasn't, you know, to, to monetize a newsletter, you need hundreds of thousands of, of people on your, on, on your emailing list uh -huh. if you want to charge anything and make any kind of money on advertisements within the newsletter. And I was getting nowhere fast with that. I wasn't growing quick enough. 
didn't have the capital to put much into the advertising. So here I am. I have two failed ventures. I have a newsletter with a couple thousand subscribers on it. Nowhere near monetization. My bank account's starting to bleed out. I'm going through my savings. Yeah. I'm, I'm shitting bricks right now. I'm like, holy crap. I, maybe I pulled the trigger too soon. And I, I definitely did. I just put so much trust into my team that we were going to make it happen because they, you know, they had such uh, profitable ventures in the past. I thought it was going to be cake work, like, like light work. Like this was going to be a cakewalk. It was so easy. They made money in the past. We're going to make money again. Done. Did not happen. So now here I am. I'm sitting, you know, in my room. I'm like, yo, I got to go back to my day one, which was the subscription-based model. <laughs> I am getting nowhere with this newsletter. And that is when I pulled the trigger. I, I set everything up, the site, thought about the plan, stop housing to make it all happen. Was it scalable? Yada, yada, yada. Launched it in August of 2018. And I quit work May 30th, 2017. That was my last day at JP. May 30th, 2017. I believe it was like August 1st, somewhere around there of 2018. So a little over a year later, I launched a subscription and it took a little bit of time to get going. I don't know if you know this story. Uh -huh. I'll get into it a little bit. Um, first month, I think I made like $200 in subs. Okay. I, I think you were one of them. I think you were my, one of my first subscribers. You and Nick were like my, my first subscriber. And Max. I think you guys were my three first, like subscribers, my first three. <laughs> and, um, and then I said, because I'm, I'm a year, think about it, Dan. I'm a year and a half out of work now. Right. Okay? Right. Like, okay, good. I live, with, I live with my parents and everything. I'm saving cash, but you know, you still got school loans, you still got other expenses, yada, yada, whatever. I'm not making my hundred grand that I was making at JP. Mm -hmm. I'm not making these six digits right now, man. I, I'm making nothing, you know? <laughs> so I make $200. I'm excited about that. I'm like, okay, this is good. I made like 350 the next month or something along these lines. I'm like, all right, this is good, but I need to, I need to make money. I need to grow faster. Right. So I said to myself, I put it in paper. I said, look, if I don't make a thousand dollars December 31st, wow. like in that month, yeah. $1,000, I'm applying back to all the places. I am going back to the corporate life. This is what it is. I cannot burn more than a year and a half out of the office. Can't do it. Can't do it. You know, got, you got, your parents are getting nervous. Yeah. You know, like you're thinking about how you're getting older and maybe you got, you want to, you know, grab a girlfriend and start a family down the line and all these things start to pop in your mind, you know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like I, I went from, and I don't mean to ramble on for too long. I just want to give you the full scoop. Oh, no worries. I went from, you know, looking for, looking pretty much guaranteed a promotion, uh, that summer at JP. Okay. Okay. I, I quit that. I try to work on these ventures. They both failed. Okay. I thought, oh, if, I had, if one fails, I got the other. They both flopped. I got a, a cube, which is nice and all, but it's not making me anything right now. So I was Ubering to pay my bills. And as I was Ubering, I was pitching cube the entire time to get subscribers. That's cool. <laughs> I was using every single person that got in the car as a opportunity to grow the business. Anyway, long story short, December, I think I made $1,001 and like 47 cents. No so I, I said, I'm going to continue. I made, I got the number. I got the number. And then every month, every month I would keep going with it. Cause what's a thousand dollars a month, bro. It's, it's nothing, you know, <laughs> it's nowhere near what I was making. If I want to live, I got to make more than that. So then I would set the next threshold by end of, you know, February, then the next threshold, then the next threshold. And it just keeps going and going and going until I felt like, okay, I have a legitimate business here. Now I can really 
stop worrying so much. Okay. Uh, and, and, and focus on actually, you know, growing it without having my back to the wall. Sure, man. Uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, having your back to the wall type of, uh, just environment, right? To, you know, you, you, I've met a lot of entrepreneurs here in Silicon Valley and, uh, you know, what I was noticing is there's like this just ma- magical mindset that they have that enables them to do do things. I mean, knowing you, I, I remember like the first time we chatted, right? Like you, uh, we, we were doing a podcast for your own episode, your, your own podcast, which was cute. Yeah, yeah. our one-on-ones we do. Yeah, yeah. And it was, and it was like, it was 11, a, 11 p.m. in California. And I know it would be like 2, 2 a.m. over there. <laughs> what <laughs> gives you that mindset, man, like that, that lets you, oh, I crap, I have to do this at 2 a.m. Or, you know, you're probably spending the whole night typing up that uh, cube letter or making yep. reports, right? How do you exactly, I mean, was that always you? Like, even did you get the straight A's in school? Or, like, did this come from iBanking? Because, you know, there's a lot of people out there who want to start their own thing. And what I've been realizing even through all my own uh, things that I've started or people that I work closely with is uh, they're, they're, they're fully committed. How did you... Um, get two feet in the pool yeah uh very tough question to be honest because i i often ask myself the same questions every so often like where where does the motivation come from is it is it seeing my father succeed in entrepreneurship that makes me want to succeed is it the freedom because i'll be honest man (laughs) um you know it's 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 so funny when i when i quit okay and I, I, I got a taste of what it's like to operate on your terms when you want, how you want, that your, your future is in your hands, literally. Like what you make is, is what, like what you pretty much bring to the table is what you eat. Wow. And when I was out of work, man, I wasn't even making money, bro. Remember, that's like the common theme here for like the first good year and a half, okay, yeah. out of work, out of, out of uh, corporate life. I wasn't making anything. And I, I noticed, brother, that my happiness was a hundredfold. Really? I am, I am so happy. I have no money. I mean, what are you getting happy about, man? You're broke as hell. Uh-huh. What, what, what are you excited about? Why do you feel this way? Have, have you ever felt this? I felt like a kid. I felt so young. I said, look, this is how I'm feeling without driving in any money. I was working nonstop. The, what, to your question about my work ethic, I've been like this since day one. And I think my father taught me this because... Uh, as a little background to my history, my father, he, he, he's in the car business big time. He, he, he owns uh, properties, yes, but uh, he started his car service, uh, car, car um, uh, like black limo service in New York back in early 1990s. He sold that after a few years after building up his book, sold it. Then he went to the car wash business. He's owned a couple car washes since then. So he brought me on when I was 14 years old, give or take, something around this age. And... And I would work there my summers of, of middle school. He, I would work there like a dog, no money first year. 15 years old, I go back the second summer. He gives me just tips. So I work a 10-hour day, threw, threw me 15 bucks in tips for the day. Okay. The third year I go, he matches my tips. The fourth year I go, I'm like 17 years old now, yeah. he starts paying me minimum wage. So he really taught me the value of a dollar and, 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 oh, and, and he, would, he would say, look, here's how I want you to do this. We have all these new cool packages. You could upgrade people to their you know, special soap, special detailing, special waxings, shampooing carpets. I want you to sell. 
learn how to sell these people. That's awesome. Okay. <laughs> so I, to this day, he's owned that car wash for 20 years. He's owned that car wash. Okay. To yeah. this day, no one has sold more of a, this wax that I sold. I sold 57 of these waxes that day. Huh. I brought my dad in almost a grand that day in extra sales. Just what? that day, 17 years old, just, just selling my ass off, man. They couldn't even handle all the work and the side detail base because of how much I was pushing them out. That's great. And I think that's where it came from. And I just, I don't know, man. It's like, it's like a drug. Yeah. It's like a drug. I, I'm addicted to it. Uh, one of my uh, subscribers asked me two days ago, or maybe it was yesterday, Bez, uh, how many hours, is it a team? Is it just you? How many hours a day do you, do you operate? Because if I email you at two o'clock in the morning, you respond. If I email you at 3 p.m. in the afternoon, you respond within 30 seconds. I DM'd you on Instagram, you responded within a minute. Who is working on all these reports you're doing? How, how is this one guy? It's impossible. Yeah. <laughs> they, and it blows them away. And just, I just don't feel like I'm working, man. Oh. I don't. I don't feel like I'm working. I, I, maybe I sound cliche, Dan. I apologize if I, if I do. I just, I've been like this since day one. I was like this on the other ventures as well. The reason those ones did not go to go well is because I cared more than everyone else. Hmm. And I have no problem admitting that I am all in or brother. I don't care. Yeah. Same with me. I'll make a light switch. Yeah. yeah. You know, I'm like that with my friends and my family. Yeah, yeah. I either love you to death or I don't know you, you know, <laughs> like Dan, you text me. I'm there, bro. You hit me up. I'm there. It's how I am with people. <laughs> it just, I, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm kind of like hot and cold. So Cube is just so my thing. I see the help like I'm providing for people. And the more I help, the more addicted I become. I want to help more people and more people and more people. So when I realized to make, to, to end my long ass answer, because I'm sorry, I'm running on. I just get so excited about these topics. <laughs> when, <laughs> when you asked me like what motivated, when I first left and I was making no money, I said, look how amazing this is. Imagine I was making half of what I was making at the office. Uh -huh. I said, I'm going to be on cloud nine. <laughs> like, so, uh, man, once you get a taste of that freedom, Dan, there's no going back. So it was motivation to help people more uh -huh. coupled with the fact that I don't want to go back. I will do anything not to go back. Yeah. Yeah. If I could work a hundred hours for some schmuck in the office, I could work a hundred hours a week for myself. That's you best believe it. Let's, let's, you brought up really, um, something that I think, uh, our generation of millennials and people in their twenties kind of lost touch with, and I'll admit I've lost touch with myself, is the value of a dollar, right? Like I remember being in, in college, went to UC Riverside, which is a place in Southern California in the Inland Empire. Not too many people may know about it, but um, that place, uh, it's not fancy downtowns. It's not Silicon Valley. It's not San Francisco. It's, uh, it's dirt. I mean, there's a lot of mountains. It's um, desert, really. And, you know, I think there I learned about, uh, you know, the value of a dollar as well. And um, I was a tour guide for my school making like 11 bucks, making, I remember the, yeah, I remember the first paycheck I got uh, and realized how much of a difference that made, you know, just not having to rely on my parents' uh, income or uh, support. And I was just thinking, man, I'd love to start making more money, right? And I think that value of the dollar just um, hit me, but also realizing that the world that we live in is changing and noticing how, you know, digital like e-commerce is just influencing so much, you know, 
spend and do you feel like you've lost a little bit of touch with the the money or i mean you know what i mean like everything our society that we live in is you know very instant gratification very quick with the like the usage of the products like tiktok and instagram you're seeing so much that do you feel like that it even um people that you know do you feel like that lifestyle has or that digitalization of uh our lifestyle has uh changed the the impression that we have on a spending and the value of a dollar yeah yeah i think i think they're definitely you know somewhat correlated here i mean if we just look at uh what people are spending money on today and where their priorities lie i i think i think it's very apparent i mean you have people doing like for you pages now like uh, uh, this is brand new to me hmm. and they have no they have no problem spending 40 50 a month to watch you know some weird shit but when you know they think about for a, for a fraction of the price to learn how to invest a lot of people are hesitant when people are uh another example people will spend 15 dollars a day at starbucks but won't buy a 15 dollar book at barnes noble okay i i, I do think that um and I, I don't like to brush, you know, with with you know a broad stroke here, but I think it's fair to say that as a society, especially in in, in the twenties and, and even the younger generation coming up, I do think they're you know we're getting lost in this craze. Uh, so you know, you come from humble beginnings. We've spoken, you know, online and offline. We 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 talk and myself included i mean i don't think it's a coincidence that the people i get along with almost instantaneously come from the same background as me you know uh, immigrant parents you know humble beginnings tough you know upbringing with regard to finances and you know freaking sharing rooms with your brothers and your sisters and your cousins because there's just not enough rooms in the house you know yeah. you know <laughs> share making sure you don't drink too much of the milk don't ever throw food away eat every last bit, you know bit of rice on that plate like I, I don't think a lot of people have come from like, not a lot of people have come from this i think when you go back maybe to your roots like when i go back home to albania to see where my family was born and raised and where my grandparents lived as well it it knocks you back into reality, man. I think when a lot of people go on these vacations, you know, cause like right now vacationing is a big thing on social media, right? Everyone's so about it. Uh, you know, travel, travel, everyone's to travel. But I think the problem is when people go traveling, they don't step outside of their resorts oh, okay. that they go to. And I think we need to, it, it comes down to so many things and we can have a separate podcast on this if we're being honest here, because you can go into the music, you can go into uh, like that industry. You can go into the fashion industry. You can go into the tr how we travel today. We're we're losing touch with reality. Yeah, like yeah. step outside of that Sandals Resort in Jamaica and see how they live. Go to Belize. Go to Venezuela. Step outside of that resort and see what it's really like. You know, everyone goes to Cancun. Step a little bit outside of there. You know, and, and, and touch get in touch with reality a little bit and how amazing we have it. You know, it's 4th of July. I'm so proud to be an American, man. For sure. Uh, it, we take it for granted. I swear to you, we take it for granted. How great we have it in this country. We, we wake up running water, man. And I think we've lost that gratitude yeah. across the board. I'm not saying everybody. I'm not saying everyone. 
But I think across the board, we've really lost touch with how amazing we have it and how, how simple our lives truly are. When they say first world problems, we joke about it like it's a meme. It's for real. First world problems. I encourage everybody when they go travel, okay, do it like raw traveling. Go really see what, what these people live like and, 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 and why everyone wants to come to this beautiful country, man. So yes, to your point, put simply, have we lost the value of a dollar? Yes, we have. Why? I think there's a, a newfound uh, laziness and this feeling of being owed something without working for something. Have you noticed this yourself where people feel entitled? People feel like they're owed something. Dude, that's not where I come from, man. You, you need to earn the respect. No one just gives it, you know? So I, I think that's what's happening right now. It's a huge culture shock, huge culture shift. And I do think it's driven by the digitization that you were talking about. Yeah, man. I think, you know, that's uh, what Earl and I are we're trying to write about in this book. Just the impact of uh, digitalization on the world, man. It's, uh, it's really recent, so it's hard to, you know, take a step back and think about what's happened. I mean, I remember being in 2015 and, you know, iPhones weren't as stellar as they are right now. And I mean, it's just such a big difference in lifestyle. I mean, now you look at how the, the way I live, at least um, with everything at the touch of a finger, man, like I'll have a, like a meal. If I wanted a meal, man, I just do it on DoorDash. Click if five takes five clicks. It's coming in in 30 seconds. You're like, did I really just do that? And same thing with Amazon, same thing with an Uber, right? I think yep. they paved the way for this whole consumer behavior change. Yeah. It's mind boggling, man. Like, look, I'm, I'm waiting for it myself. I don't consider myself like a full blown successful entrepreneur or anything like that. I really don't. I think I'm just in the first couple innings, if you ask me. Um, and I'm waiting for the day when someone says to me, hey, you know, wow, that really blew up fast. Like, Cube really took off quick. I'm like, no, it didn't. No, it didn't, man. You don't know where I've been and the tears I, I, I've cried, man, you know, trying to build this company up. You know, it's forget the stress of the investments, okay? That is something of itself. That is a beast on its own, trying to beat the market. That in and of itself is enough to make you lose all your hair. The second part is growing the brand, growing the business, taking care of everything on that front, it is extremely stressful. It is. And, and I think one point I want to touch on here, even though you might have not asked about it, it's just something that I think given that your, your podcast is called Startup Mindsets, is there's this weird thing going on on Instagram and other social media platforms where people are flaunting entrepreneurship, <laughs> this beautiful thing where we all are on private jets every weekend. I don't know where and why this happened and how quick it happened. It's, it, it's mind-boggling to me. It's not. It's Ubering on the side and having ramen for dinner. It ain't freaking jets on the side and, and, and chicks everywhere you go and clubbing in this. I, I, I don't understand then, how this happened, man. It, it's beyond me. So I do want to make that very clear here. This life is not for everybody. It is stressful. It is a hundred times harder than you can imagine. Okay. And it will break you down and beat you up. And at that point, you will know exactly what the hell you're made of because it will bring you to your literal knees 
begging whoever it is you believe in, okay, for help left and right. That is a fact. Right on, man. Let's 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 talk a little bit about uh, the stock market right now and uh, how you know the the world is with uh, the pandemic and what you've seen and how do you feel about you know the the current uh, U.S. economy and things things like that for for a couple of minutes or yeah no yeah we can definitely touch on this because you know this would be a three hour episode on its own uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but if people do want to check out the Cube Wealth does have a podcast too called Cubecast which I also do uh, podcasts on and. Uh, also, Cube Wealth on Twitch as well. I do a, talk about this a lot and obviously the subscription platform. Um, but uh, to touch on this, yes. So, so maybe I, the question for me would be, um, do you think that it's you know, rational for tech companies to be reaching record valuations at a time where there is a lot of uh, health concerns? And Yeah. So, no, I, I'll touch on this right now. Um, are valuations stretched at this moment in time? I believe they are. Um, but that does not mean that we go and short the market here because we have to, and I hear this all the time, when are we shorting? When are we shorting the market? Everything's going to plunge. Everything's going to tank again. I've been hearing, just so we're clear here, I've been hearing these same arguments for the greater part of a decade. Okay. Now, it's hard to bet against the Fed and this amount of quantitative easing. It's, it's just very difficult to. Uh, and, and that's what we're seeing. We're seeing, you know, expansionary monetary policy like never before. They're literally going to write history books on this. It's unprecedented times. Absolutely, like astronomically low rates right now, if not going negative here in the States. I don't think it will, but it might. Either way, you have negative rates around the globe. That pushes people to search for other investments that, that have any kind of yield because people are in, are, are in desperate need of it. So people are moving to the equity markets because they simply have nowhere else to leave their cash. And that is what we're seeing. I'm even seeing a lot of this um, uh, unemployment and, and, and a lot of these, uh, these one-time payments from the government going straight into the market. And I think everybody should be getting into the market. I just want to clarify that people should be careful. People should be diversifying their portfolios. To your question about should tech companies be at all-time highs, now, I think actually certain companies should be. I do. Uh, certain companies. And I say this because a company like Microsoft, for example, has not seen any slowdown in their business whatsoever. They've pretty much shown the investor that their business, their entire business model is recession-proof. Uh, when, when Microsoft, and I'll start with that example, for instance, is when the pandemic hit, they go ahead and see their users on Skype and their users on Microsoft Teams skyrocket, okay? And then they, they, they haven't seen any really slowdown in their Microsoft Office business. Azure, their cloud, continues to grow at insane levels, all right? Uh, their AAA-rated credit, they, they are absolutely executing on almost every single uh, place they exist. And even the Xbox that's going to come out, it's, it's, it's great. Gaming's popping off right now because everyone's home. Okay. It's just, they are everywhere. They're, they're such a diversified business. And the reason I think they should be at the high, you know, at new highs is because one, I still think their valuation's reasonable. Okay. Uh, and I can always have a nice full fledged debate about that with, with some people. Um, but more so they are showing just utter contrast between them and everyone else. Like they're just showing that there's levels to this <laughs> and, that, and, and that they can withstand great times and they can even withstand tough times. 
that that's that's been like unprecedented uh in in prior recessions right where like technology back i guess in 08 wasn't uh anywhere near where it like having the capabilities that it has now like imagine if the pandemic was in 08 yeah i think yeah i think we're better yeah better prepared um so many of these companies are, are better prepared i have to be careful when i say that because better prepared can mean so many different things but uh for example like the the banks uh, they're, they're not 100% healthy, but they are much better today than they were in 2008. If you look at the, the consumer saving, uh, that's been actually uh, pretty encouraging numbers there. Um, but we're not out of this. We're not out of this. The, the United States and the globe, for that matter, the entire world, uh, is going to see some huge ripples from this. Uh, many companies are not going to make it. Uh, and and Damn, we have to keep in mind, it's not like while the markets are at all-time highs, many sectors are not, okay? Many real estate investment trusts, REITs, are still down 30 40%, you know, year-to-date because they rely solely on rental income. And a lot of companies, especially retailers, going bankrupt. You look at Sears and you look at, you know, tons of companies. Honestly, you look at uh, 24 Hour Fitness uh, that, that occupy these humongous, uh, you know, uh, real estate uh, freaking properties. So uh, you have to be very careful, very selective. Obviously, Cube has been doing a really good job of that. Um, trying to stay in companies that don't have too much debt, uh, positive free cash flow, great growth. Another thing about the tech companies that I wanted to mention is we also have to keep in mind much of their business is subscriptional. So they have very sticky revenues. Sure. You know, and, and another thing too, they're very high gross margin. So we're invested in a few companies, Dan, obviously, as you know, you're probably investing in them as well, that uh, if they needed to, they can start driving some serious profits right now. Because I know a lot of people, the main argument is, oh, tech is trading at such a high valuation. Profits aren't really there. They're forgetting that a lot of these high growing tech companies are spending a lot top of dollar on marketing and sales to grow their business. At any point in time, if they want, they could cut down on marketing and drive profits. Okay, like one of our companies, for example, Alterix, Alterix. has 93% gross margin. They're positive free cash flow, positive net income. They spend so much money on sales and marketing. If they wanted to right now and cut, cut that, they would be sending so much of their top line revenue to the profits, to the bottom line. Instantly. Uh-huh. You know, that, that's why people forget like these software companies are in a really unique position. Many of these companies, mind you, Dan, their business models are solely on helping other companies reduce headcount, okay. reduce costs. They are, they're, they're beautiful. Like, <laughs> like, like we invested in Blackline, okay? What do they help people do? They help lean out everyone's accounting, compliance, and finance teams, much of which makes up the bulk of companies' freaking headcount. They, they shaved off, they saved millions of dollars for Coca-Cola in their case study because they implemented the software and they didn't need to hire as many people. I mean, I feel bad for them, but to the victor go the spoils, man. So when we talk about the markets right now, yes, valuations are stretched, but let's also keep in mind here uh, the grand scheme of things. We're seeing quantitative easing like never before. We're seeing companies, especially because a lot of the the weight is being pulled by these, by these humongous companies, the Facebook, the Amazons, the Apples, the Googles, the Netflixes, who have all been seeing revenues increase, mind you. Sure. Apple, not so much because they're more of a product company, but they are 
transitioning more into software, but they're not fully on that transition yet. So they've seen their vet revenues fall a little bit. But as far as Facebook, Netflix, I mean, Netflix, are you kidding me? <laughs> they're popping off. Hey. I, you know, it, so when we look at these things, the market's ripping higher, but it is not across the board. I can tell you that right now, it is being pulled by a lot of the, the juggernauts. And there's a reason behind that. They're almost too big to fail now. And I use that, I have to use that word carefully, that, that phrase, but it's the truth. What do you think about the airline industry and the, the hospitality industry too? You know, do you think that rebounds? Yeah, I do, but not anytime soon. So as you know, I, I have not been rushing into it. I just think there's been so, so many other compelling investments that the airlines didn't really warrant, uh, you know, that huge buy the dip, buy the dip, buy the dip, because they still have a lot to get by here. Cash flow burn is insane. I do believe we can see some consolidation in the, in the younger players as well. Um, and I do, I do see them bouncing back, uh, later in, in 2021. I still think them and, and the cruise liners still have a, um, uh, a bit of, a bit of stuff to get through here. I, I think a lot of these timelines and timeframes have been a little optimistic. I mean, if you look at the cruise liners, they thought they'd be getting people back on their ships end of August. Now we're finding out that that's not happening. So I, I do think people were very, um, very optimistic in when things can return to normal. And, uh, and they're going to be those two you know, areas are going to be some of the last ones to fully recover. I mean, even Airbus's CEO said he doesn't expect a full recovery in airlines until 2025. That's the Airbus CEO saying something like that. You look at the orders that Boeing is getting, they're freaking, they're, they're non-existent. You have, many, you have many airliners still canceling their, their orders for new uh, 737s and whatnot. And, um, you know, it's just crazy. And, and you have to say to yourself, well, of course that's going to happen. Why would anyone even consider upgrading their fleet right now? If you're a Delta, a United, uh, a, you know, a JetBlue, why would you upgrade your fleet? CapEx is going to get cut so hard in order to save uh, cash burn. So, yeah. uh, there will be a time to enter. I'm in no rush. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. You know, do you think, this is a little bit separate. Do you think that uh, not having sports around has caused more people to put money into stocks? Uh, yes, and it's it's not been see because a lot of people are getting bored with no sports, so they think they can just gamble in the markets, and uh, that's what that's what bothers me, and that's what I'm seeing a lot of right now. I'm seeing people who would ne I never thought in a million years would open up a brokerage account, okay, <laughs> and they're doing it now, and all they're doing is playing YOLO options. Don't you think? <laughs> say, say that again. Robinhood makes uh, that, that whole thing just so simple and easy. They do. And I was talking to someone recently about this. I, I love that um, these you know, new tech firms like Robinhood and Webull and all of them, they push the, you know, everything to $0 you know, free commission, you know, free trades and everything. I'm happy about that. But I hope that they don't think that that solved the problem. I hope they don't think that because they haven't. I mean, all they've done is reduce the barriers to entry. The problem has always been education. And that's why I started Cube. Sure. The problem is not starting an account. That is easy. Anyone can do that. It's when you put the money in the account, what do you do now? And what, what's happened is people have been rushing because people get in FOMO because it comes back to the digitization of everything. Okay. Everything's getting digital and everyone's flaunting their gains. God forbid anyone flaunts their losses on Instagram and TikTok. Okay. Everybody's a guru now. People get FOMO, fear of missing out. They open up their Robinhood account. They chuck a few bucks in there. And it's sadly some of their only money they have. 
and they go and gamble it away on options to get rich quick. They want to turn a grand into 10 grand. It turns into 10 bucks. So I'm happy that Robinhood uh, started this whole trend and reduced the, the fees of everything. I thank them for that. Uh, and congrats to their user base. Beautiful. But when I was starting Cube around the same time I was getting my feet, you know, under me on Cube, I liked that Robinhood was doing their thing because it was driving more business for me. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's getting, it's getting more retail in the market, and that's exactly who I'm trying to help. So they reduced the, the, the barriers to entry. Now it's time for, you know, guys like myself, Cube, to knock down the barriers to knowledge. Yeah. This is what we need to focus on. Anyone can put money in a stock. How do you know it's the right one? How do you know how to manage it? How do you know how to diversify? How do you know that you're taking good care of it, that it's still going to be there in 10, 20, 30, 40 years? That is what I'm approaching. That is the bigger thing here. And that is something that not many of these new tech companies are paying attention to. I like that Webull, for example, has their comments thing on, uh, on their platform where people talk. But I also find that at the same time, extremely dangerous, Dan, because it's just nonstop pumping and, and fear tactics. Everyone's got a, a, you know, a dog in this fight and they're, they're pulling people certain directions and people are not thinking for themselves. You know, yeah, yeah. that's the problem. When, when people ask me, Dan, to do research on a company, I'm not just doing the research so I tell you what I think. I am trying to tap into your mind to challenge your investment thesis. That is how good investing happens. That's how I think about this whole thing. So yes, thank you, Robinhood. Thank you, Webull. Thank you, all of you, all you companies out there, even maybe some I'm not mentioning, for lowering the prices, getting everybody in, because it sucked paying $10 to get in and $10 to get out of a trade. Just come, I just came up with a question. Um, you know, something that I've been examining for research purposes for the book that I'm writing um, is about how Robinhood and, you know, these new startups have... Uh, changed legacy industries you know look at the brokerage industry and uh and, and uh, i just wanted to see what your thoughts were on robin hood's impact on the big business side of uh, charles schwab or like a td um e-trade do you think that there has been a need to focus on innovation or and growing their doing something different to compete with the robin hood um they they well first off they're doing a lot of mergers okay and so like scott trade got bought out um you know, they merged, E-Trade just got bought out, freaking TD and uh, what's it called? Schwab, they're coming together, yada, yada. So uh, that's what they're doing to survive, number one. Number two, what I'm seeing from these bigger brokerages is they are okay with it. They obviously don't want to see them themselves lose money, but what, they're, what their plan here is, okay, let's adopt the $0, you know, commission. Let's go ahead and compete. But they don't have as good as a product as Robinhood. Do you think? Would you think? So? Uh, no, I think they have a better product. I, I I just think that the way Robinhood excels is better UI UX. That's it. That's the only thing I think Robinhood has. They're more in touch with the with the younger community, and they have a nice platform. It's very aesthetically pleasing, and it's very easy to use. But yeah. the, as far as tools go, as far as research goes, as far as all the things you could do, not even close. Plus, um. You know, I believe there's more of a trust factor with the E-Trades, with the Schwabs. But what more, more importantly, what I want to say is they've, they've come to terms with it. They've adopted it. But now what they're more focused on is, okay, let's get them. We won't charge them today. Let's nurture the client from when they're 20 years old. And then let's get them to, let's build their wealth. 
and then let's get them to man, let's manage your money in maybe 10, 15 years. So that's what they're doing. They're, they're looking at this as a loss leader. Let's get them in. Let's not charge anything. No problem. Let's compete because why, why lose the business to Robinhood? And then as their wealth builds and as they get promoted in their jobs and their freaking investments start to grow and they start to deposit more money in there, then we make the, the freaking sale by saying, hey, look, you, only, you started this account 15 years ago with 100 bucks. You got about 200 grand in there now. Let's get you a real advisor on this. Let's take care of you like the client you should be taken care of. Okay. And that's where the sale comes in. That's where the fees come in. That's where their business thrives. So I think that is what these big brokerages have decided to do. They've, they, they just come to terms with it. And they're like, you know what? Let's just, let's get them now. We won't make anything off them. No problem. We weren't going to make anything off them anyway. And then in 15, 20 years, they're playing the long game now. And honestly, they have no other option hmm. because Robinhood's eating their lunch. Because if Robinhood wants to take the next step and turn their whatever, 8 million, 10 million, how many accounts they have now, I don't even know. Um, and they offer a Robinhood wealth management. Oh, yeah. Then E-Trade and Scott Trade and um, well, TD Ameritrade and Schwab and all of them, they got to be a little more worried because that is their edge right now. Uh, but... I will say this, Robinhood needs to uh, build their brand into something a little more respectable. I think people would initially be uh, nervous to put big money with Robinhood to manage. I really do think so because of their outages they've had, their blunders, and overall how they market the company in a more younger fashion. So I, I do think from a marketing standpoint, a branding standpoint, it's not going to be as seamless as perhaps maybe they think if that's their long-term play. I don't know if it is, but my, I am just speaking from experience here. I would be so much more inclined to leave a quarter million in a Schwab account than I would with an, with a Robinhood account, especially if there's going to be advisors looking over it. No doubt about it. Do you feel the same way? Uh, I, I, I mean, I guess I'm biased towards Robinhood, but, uh, I also do have a Schwab account, but, uh, yeah, I feel the same way. Charles Schwab has been around for quite a while. And they have that, you know, better manage your, your big bucks in, in one of those trusted. Yeah, I think Robinhood's fun. I think it's an awesome, you know, platform. I think it, it, it's so easy to buy and sell stocks. And they have the cool animations of the swipe up with the confetti and all that shit. It's, it's nice. It caters so beautifully to the younger generation. I love it. Uh, my whole thing is that when that, the younger generation matures, will they choose Robinhood if the opportunity is there for Robinhood to manage their money? Will they do that? Cube is from the standpoint where that same client does not want Robinhood to manage money and they don't want Schwab to manage your money. They want to manage your money themselves with a complete non-biased third-party perspective, which is Cube. They want the education. They want the reports. They want that additional insight without having to put their money with, in someone else's hands. Because right now, trust is more important than anything. You know, it really is. And I think that's where Cube plays a really unique role in the future of, of uh, wealth management, you know? Yeah. J just curious, man. Where did you uh, learn investing on your own experience? Was it through the books or the finance classes or was it? Uh, finance would... classes is more like modern portfolio theory and, you know, analyzing discounted cash flows and 
things of this nature, you know, cap M your capital asset pricing models and you know, your dis, you know, your dividend discount models, all this stuff. It's more so like that. Um, understanding how fixed income markets and, you know, futures markets work and all these kinds of things, how, how certain companies hedge, you know, their risk, uh, things like with forward contracts, things like that. But I, as far as actually investing, understanding the technical analysis, understanding these companies, uh, my finance classes helped me from a financial statement perspective, uh, and understanding, okay, well, this is what, you know, your current liabilities are. This is what your working capital is. This is what this is. That, yeah, that helped me there. But as far as finding new investments, looking at different sectors, this came from experience, okay, um, and, and reading a ton of books, reading a ton of books outside of classroom. So I, I, I started with paper trading accounts in, in high school and college, uh, and then eventually I, I, I you know, one for one matched my father and we got into the markets when I was in college and, you know, I learned some things the hard way. And, and that's really where a lot of this also comes from where cube is I want to save a lot of people from losing thousands, their hard earned money because they went all in on some stupid penny stock or some shit that I've, I've been victim to myself back when I was 17, 18 years old. And we've all been there. And if I can save someone a couple thousand dollars, cause I wish there was a service like that for me, it would have saved me a boatload of money. If someone just told me, Hey, listen, this is why the company's not a good company. This is why you shouldn't put all your money there. And that's that. It would have saved me a ton of headaches and a ton of money. So well, how can, yeah. if somebody's listening, how can they uh, get in touch with you or find Cube? Yeah, sure. Um, so they can visit www.cubewealth.com. Uh, pretty much Cube Wealth handles everywhere. So it's Cube Wealth on TikTok, <laughs> Cube Wealth on, on uh, Instagram, Cube Wealth on Twitch, Cube Wealth on Twitter. I mean, it's, it's all over the place, but the podcast is CubeCast. Um, so that is, that is where you can find me. If uh, you have any questions, you can reach out to help at CubeWealth.com. Um, and yeah, that's uh, pretty, much, pretty much where you can, you can find me. But like I said, my name is Bez. Just reach out and uh, I'm sure I'll respond within five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was about it for this uh, episode, man. Uh, Dan, I want to thank you uh, for having me on. I want to congratulate you on the success you're seeing so far. You've had some dynamite episodes with some dynamite people. Uh, continue to rock and roll, brother. Uh, you've come such a long way. I remember when we were talking about this uh, before it even started, and you were like, yo, I'm thinking about doing this. And I'm so happy to see that you took the, the dive and that you're staying consistent with it. Because much of my success, Dan, yeah. is not because I am a very smart guy or I was lucky. It has nothing to do about that. I just stayed consistent. There are tons of guys who quit right before success. I want to thank you for bringing me on to this episode because it was a lot of fun. Yeah. And, uh, I hope all the viewers found a lot of value in it, man. I think this is awesome, especially during these crazy times with everyone locked in house. Definitely, you know, give Dan a listen. Reach out to him. He's been around the block. Great guy. Outstanding person. So, Dan, thank you again, man. Really was a pleasure. Just want to say thank you so much to the listeners of the Startup Mindsets podcast. This is your host, Dan. And, yeah, if you guys would like to hear more, subscribe to us on Apple or Spotify or any of the services that um, you're listening, <laughs> listening to us on. And, uh, yeah, more to come from us. 
we just launched our website and we're going to be launching our Instagram pretty, pretty soon. Check out our website at startupmindsets.com and uh, follow us at the Startup Mindsets on LinkedIn or Instagram. So thanks again.